hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Infection Control Matters. It's Martin Keenan here today and I'm delighted to say I've got Alexandra Peters with me. Alexandra has a myriad of job titles. Uh, she is the scientific lead for the Clean Hospitals Programme. She works with the WHO Collaborating Centre and also works at the University Hospitals Geneva and the University of Geneva alongside Professor Didier Pite. And today we're going to be talking about a new systematic review that was published just two weeks ago in ARIC, which is nice journal. It's nice and open access, and so everybody can get a hold of the paper. But first, just hello, Alexandra. Nice to see you. Hi. Nice to, nice to be here. Thanks, Martin. Now, what interested me about this particular paper is I'm sort of, I can almost count my age by going back through looking at evidence for healthcare associated infections in the environment. And when I started back in 1990, after a couple of years, our directors of finance were wanting to cut the cleaning budget. So a few of us in the northwest of the UK decided we were going to write a nice report to show that that's not a good idea. Reducing cleanliness is likely to harm the um, infection rates. Couldn't find any evidence at all. It all came from outbreaks. And then go on a few years and Marcus Dettenkoffer did a systematic review where he found hardly anything to look at with his search strategy. Um, a comprehensive search strategy, all right. There were three cohort studies, I think, and really nothing to conduct a systematic review on. Fast forward to 2022, and you did a little bit better with your uh, search strategy, didn't you? Yeah. Um, well, I think it was just uh, good timing, actually, because I know that the I think the WHO did one in 2010, and there wasn't there wasn't that much there yet either. And the bulk of the of the studies we found were in the last in the last seven to ten years. Mm. <clears throat> so we yeah we got lucky with the timing i think it's it's environmental uh healthcare environmental hygiene is definitely an idea whose time is now i think mm. before a lot of people sort of argue that we're going backwards that uh at one point the environment was before hand hygiene the environment was sort of seen as very very important and then we went through a phase where you know, the environment was completely ignored. And then with the rise of uh, multi-drug resistant organisms, all of a sudden people are paying attention to the environment again. And I, I, I personally don't see it as going backwards. I see it as um, becoming more, more targeted in our focus and having the evidence to see and the knowledge to know exactly what what's going on where and for what type of situations we need, what type of strategies. And I think that's um, what's making healthcare environmental hygiene so interesting at this moment in time is really that we're starting to, to have this information and to be able to say, okay, then we can design these studies, we can implement these uh, interventions and then see what, see what happens in I actually ran reran your search strategy this morning because you kindly published it alongside oh. the paper, and there's another forty five papers since you did yours. So, oh wow, you know the evidence base is growing, and and yeah. I think once people start to see evidence, they get a bit more confident that actually this is something we need to take account of. And I, I'm like you, I don't see this as going back. It's it adds to a multimodal strategy, doesn't it? It's it, yeah. infection control is never one thing; it's multiple things, and you got to get you know clean hands in a dirty environment isn't great clean environment and dirty hands isn't great so you know it's it's a, it's a multimodal thing what i'm interested in is the quality of the studies is actually very high isn't it because you use prisma but could you comment on the quality of the studies because previously they'd been really quite poor hadn't they 
Um, so we actually came up with our own quality score of the studies because we found that the existing scores weren't sufficient for what we wanted to look at. So we looked at the study design. Mm-hmm. So whether it was a before and after study that was retrospective, whether it was a quasi-experimental study or whether it was an RCT, um, we looked at sample size and here everything was arbitrary in numbers of either patient or patient days or room cleanings, but it did give us some sort of a benchmark to be able to compare these studies to each other's. Um, we looked at whether or not there was a control. Very often there wasn't. Uh, sometimes I think if I remember off the top of my head, only six studies had a true control. Mm-hmm. There were a few that had sort of a proxy control of sorts. We looked at whether or not they adjusted for confounding factors. And we mm-hmm. looked at uh, conflicts of interests or issues with reporting their data where there was data that was reported uh, in an untransparent way or that was missing. Because one thing I was interested in is quite quite a few of the studies are aimed at the more high-tech form of intervention. Mm-hmm. And is that because industry are funding the studies? I'm not saying they influence them, but are they funding studies to prove that something that's actually cost them quite a lot of money to develop and is high cost, therefore you would need a good evidence base to be able to market it and for people to be able to accept it. Do you think that's been a cause of some of the higher quality and better funded studies? Or I think... Definitely some studies were were funded by industry. Some were, many were bundles, actually. A large number were bundles that included cleaning and education and monitoring and feedback and enhanced cleaning practices. Um, I, what I do think and what I see changing in the industry is a lot of uh, companies that are coming up with really high-tech solutions. They're, they know that there's problems in the, that there's gaps, sorry, in the literature. And they say, okay, well then let's let's figure out how to address these gaps. I believe in you know this antimicrobial coating or in this uh, UV automated disinfection machine or whatever it is. And they say, okay, well then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to address these gaps. And I think that's a change that we didn't see previously in in environmental hygiene. I mean, even with with using different different chemicals or different cleaners or, you know, more traditional forms of environmental hygiene, I think it wasn't it wasn't as interesting to industry to set up these studies. And they also they didn't have that reflex. Yeah. And now I think as the science advances and as just overall sort of sensitization to the issues advances, they know that okay, I want this, you know, I want to prove that this should be implemented globally. Well, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that. Mm. And so that's, yeah, I, I'm sure that that has, a, that has a quite measurable effect in the number of studies that are coming out. I, I also quite like the fact that quite a lot of them are actually bundled approaches, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Which shows yeah. it's not just buy a new product and throw it into the workplace and yeah. it's going to make a difference. Yeah, and that goes back to what you said about IPC and infection prevention being multimodal, and it's not a it's not a silver bullet field. It's not you can't set a machine down and expect it to fix everything. And um, what what a challenge that we came across in this systematic review was actually that we we excluded any papers that used hand hygiene in their bundles because right. that's we know hand hygiene prevents infection. So that was yeah. a 
too big of a confounding factor. And so there are other studies out there that are great, hmm. you know, but that we weren't able to look at because they included hand hygiene. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, as I said before, the quite a few of the interventions that really work very well are very high tech. Mm -hmm. And how do you think this paper can translate to a global audience? Because in many countries, they're not going to go and buy the latest UV machine or a hydrogen peroxide gaseous decontamination no touch machine. You know, and we still haven't got enormous numbers of great studies for the more basic forms of environmental hygiene. Do you think this is going to be translatable or do you think they should be looking at the training and education? Because they, those are papers that actually did show there was a difference as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, training and education works as well. I don't see it as being that much of an issue and I do see it as being translatable just because at the end of the day, if you're using a really high-tech machine, what are you doing? You're disinfecting, hmm. you know? And so all of the studies looked at bio-burden and all of the studies showed significant reductions in bio burden. So I think it has a, a positive impact if you can say, okay, we disinfected this room. We can black box the method of disinfection if we want. We have a method of disinfection that works. We used it in this room or in this hospital. We reduced healthcare associated infection. Well, now you can use another method of disinfection that works. Yeah. Yeah. So I see it as, as translating. I suppose the, I suppose the um, automated methods though they sort of take the human aspect out of it, don't they? They could be seen to be potentially more thorough than a human who does miss parts of the room. Because we know from Phil Carling's work, yeah. if you go and put the UV dots in the room, people miss half of them. Yeah. Um, so that's where the training, and the education comes in. So it's it's never again one thing, is it? It's a it's a sure. bundled approach, like like the Reach study. I mean, who yeah. you know, whoever thought in my lifetime I'd see a randomised controlled trial published in the high qual <laughs> highest quality journals on cleaning yeah. and disinfection and and the better study as well you've highlighted that one in the in the paper the the uv again that hit the new england yeah. journal of medicine so you know rcts in that sort of quality of journals show that environmental hygiene has moved on yeah where do you think the gaps are now in environmental hygiene yeah the gaps in the studies because there's always more studies you can do so what should you know this is showing that environmental hygiene does reduce colonization and infection in patients because most of your studies showed that, and actually a high number of them really recommended the intervention to be carried forward as well, didn't they? Right. You know, very positive recommendations. So there were, but there's this, there's still this gap between what authors are recommending and what they were actually able to prove. So 81% of the interventions were recommended by the authors, but studies often weren't powered adequately to measure significant reductions. So you had only 58% of the total studies, or only, that's already really good, but they showed <laughs> yeah. a significant decrease in colonization or HAI for all of the microorganisms that they tested. 88% showed a decrease, not necessarily significant, in colonization or HAI for at least one of the microorganisms tested. Hmm. So I think that we still need to sort of address that gap, we need more studies that show significant reductions and that are designed to show significant reductions. We need more RCTs. We need studies that have a control at the very least. Mm. I think that will help a lot. And then 
concerning what you said before about, about automated disinfection, I think obviously automated disinfection technologies are a big part of the future. Mm. Um, that said, if you're not cleaning the dots in the room, you're not going to get a good result with your automated disinfection either. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I feel that it's not, it's not necessary to have automated disinfection everywhere all the time. I think that this is something that needs to be looked at holistically and to look at the technical aspects of healthcare environmental hygiene just as much as the human aspects of healthcare environmental hygiene, which we've been neglecting since the dawn of the field, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, I also, I was wondering how often in the paper, these papers was the actual compliance with the intervention actually mentioned? Because I know, in, for example, in Dev Anderson's better study, they did actually note that the intervention was not always carried out according to plan perfectly, and sometimes rooms got missed. Yeah. So did many people actually report whether the intervention was actually done? I think off the top of my head, I can think about three. I know in the Salgado paper on copper, the intervention was not always followed that well. I know, I think, I don't know if that counts as the intervention not being followed, but in the REACH study, they were allowed to use, uh, what was it? I think it was for C. diff. They could do whatever they wanted in yeah. terms of yeah. uh, how they were treating rooms with C. diff. Yeah. So they didn't change any of their cleaning practices, which gave results that were sort of like negative, if you will, mm. for the study. But it wasn't because of the intervention. It was just because certain hospitals didn't, you know, didn't didn't clean the rooms any differently. So I, I do remember seeing that. Um, but the, that's off the top of my head. It's been, it's been a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, after going through that lot, you're probably trying to forget it for a little while. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if you could design then the perfect study mm -hmm. to actually really demonstrate that uh, an environmental intervention does reduce healthcare-associated infection, how would you go about that? What are the key things if somebody's out there planning their intervention at this moment? What should I make sure I include in this study to make sure that it's going to be robust enough to make it into your next systematic review when you rerun the search? <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, I think definitely, definitely perspective. If you can do a multi-center RCT, that would be wonderful. Definitely talk to a biostatistician before to see what the sample sizes would have to be mm. in order to show yeah. a significant amount of, of, of reduction in healthcare-associated infection or colonization. Um, I would, a lot of the studies were actually quite good about uh, looking at the confounding factors, but not, not all of them. I think really doing in-depth analysis of the possible confounders and trying to address them individually before beginning the study would be extremely useful. So making sure that antibiotic use is being monitored, that hand hygiene compliance is being monitored, any outbreaks are monitored or excluded from the analysis or explained in any case. Um, any issues with seasonality of different diseases that that's looked at as well yeah good point i will yeah i would say really go into the confounding factors make sure the sample sizes are big enough make sure that the interventions are followed the way they're meant to be followed 
it's easy for me to say and not so easy to implement, but I think that would be really ideal. And then I would love to see, you know, if you have a big enough study, I would love to see different types of interventions in different hmm. centers and seeing how they, you know, compare against against each other. Yeah, I, I come back to how does this get translated across many areas. And to me, the fact that the second highest, well, equal second highest group, if you like, of interventions that work with human factors, yeah, which can be relatively inexpensive when compared with something like UVC or gaseous hydrogen peroxide. And, and you know, I mean, it's sustainable in the longer term. If you have a high turnover of staff, that can be a challenge. But, you know, sometimes the feedback is very important as well, isn't it? And how you give the feedback and who you give it to. Did those papers go into who the feedback went to and how it was given and the impact of that feedback at all? Uh, some of them did. I can't off the top of my head remember which ones, but some of them definitely had very clear methods for, for giving feedback and sort of mm. a team approach within the staff, within the environmental services staff. Certainly, that was one of th thought to be one of the strengths of the REACH study, wasn't it? it you know, the yeah. key to that was communication, audit, for, you know, get, uh, monitoring and feedback of information to staff. So they, the staff at the front line, know how well they are doing rather yeah. than the managers know how, how well they're doing. Because yeah. I find the staff at the front line are often more motivated to keep the place clean than the management are. Absolutely. And that's something that we're, we're really exploring further in our self-assessment framework that we're developing. Hmm. And from what we saw from the pilot study that we did uh, in 35 different countries, we saw that very often there's no channel for upward communication from environmental service workers to their management. And very often feedback is not positive or is not constructive. And very often there's no I think off the top of my head, 70% or 75% of the 51 hospitals that, that had done this pilot survey said that there was no opportunity for any kind of continued education. So those are all issues that not only will keep your staff on longer, but will make them understand that they're part of something really important. And this is mm. a, you know, this is a career, this is part of something bigger. If you would ask me, what is the one thing that needs to be addressed first in environmental hygiene, mm -hmm. maybe two. One would be not disinfecting dirty surfaces, which we see over and over and over and over again everywhere. Yeah. And then the second one would be including people that are actually doing the environmental hygiene in the field mm. and building this with them and not yeah, making making environmental hygiene participatory in in a way, and yeah. really looking at the the cost of these healthcare associated infections and the value that the environmental service staff actually has, yeah. and then changing a little bit how how that's addressed. Um, you mentioned the self assessment framework. It'd be a while before we get any publications on that, I would guess. Could yeah. you just outline what that is? Yeah. Because many people may not have heard of that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So actually, the first pilot study of the framework is Impress. Oh. So that's that's exciting. So the healthcare environmental hygiene self-assessment framework is based on the WHO multimodal strategy for hand hygiene improvement. And basically, uh, Professor Pitay's team made the hand hygiene self-assessment framework, which is now a global tool used by the WHO. There's global surveys every few years with 
30 some thousand hospitals that mm-hmm. participate globally every year. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do was create that tool for environmental hygiene, which is has been a huge challenge because we have more than hands and alcohol. You know, we yeah. have yeah. all these different fields <laughs> and all these different surfaces and all air and water and laundry and and who does it and who is it contracted and you know yeah there's there are a myriad of uh, aspects to this one yeah and then and then the other big challenge has been how to make this survey applicable no matter where in the world you you do it yeah yeah you know so that it's not based only on well i have all the shiny new technology so i'm fine but it really goes into the different aspects of workplace culture and are the supplies you have appropriate for their task where what's what's cool about it is that it's actually helping healthcare facilities map out where the weak spots are Uh and then they can it's not meant to say you know this is the level you need to attain it's it's meant to say okay um this is how i can improve against myself and then Mm -hmm. you know and over time yeah, it's important you don't say you're wrong. It's getting people to realize themselves, I have a gap here that I need to fill in my service. So Exactly, exactly. And then in a way that is possible for that facility, you know, we're, we're never going to say you need to use this disinfectant, you need to use this type of detergent or this type of technology. We might just say like, okay, using sponges on surfaces is probably not great, but here's <laughs> another 10 things that you can be using or you know introducing the idea of continued education for environmental services staff or at least the idea that they should be be supported to be able to talk to their managers comfortably you know that it's Mm -hmm. because very often it's this very sort of draconian setup where or just have a manager on site every once in a while so all these things that we really take for granted uh at least in switzerland and i've i've talked to some some hospitals that say, well, we don't need that. Like, why would environmental hygiene even be an issue? And then I think there's like this little bit of a gap as to how it is actually performed everywhere else. And not necessarily just in low resource settings. We see major issues in high resource settings as well. And from that initial initial survey, um, 98% of the, so 50 out of 51 healthcare facilities that uh, responded to us had major gaps in how they were how they were doing things so that's that's a lot and that's just in the pilot stage so presumably you're going to modify the tool and then it'll be disseminated a lot more wider or be available through uh, an accessible mechanism yeah yeah that's the goal so we're going to now we're working on scoring then we're going to work on testing it in depth in partner hospitals around the world to really sort mm-hmm. of pull it apart one last time and then hopefully we'll have a a tool that will that will be functional is there a way that hospitals can volunteer to take part in your in your program or you know in the testing phase if you know how would they find out about it and volunteer sure um send me an email and okay. we can we can talk about it yeah we're not quite there yet but almost okay and then it would be yeah we would be happy to okay well what i'll do is i'll get the link off you uh, in a moment and then i'll put that in the description of the podcast for the new pilot paper as well so that people have two papers to look at after today's chat 
And, uh, and you. you know, and you. people will be able to go away and have a look at the early stage of the assessment tool, won't they, yeah. in that paper, presumably? So they get ahead of them. No, that would, that would be great. And I mean, I don't know if we'll be able to do, I mean, obviously we're not going to do like 20 in-depth testing periods with individual hospitals, but we mm. will do numerous ones. And maybe we can talk about, if we have a big response, we can talk about just doing it the way that we did in the pilot study, but for the new survey, so they can test out the scoring, et cetera, and then come back to us. Wonderful. And so that would be that that would be doable. Okay. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks very much. It's been a fascinating discussion. It's a delight to see. I never thought I'd see it, to be honest, in, in my career t- lifetime, because there was just no evidence at all for years. Now we're getting systematic reviews demonstrating reactions in actual healthcare-associated infections and colonization based on environmental decontamination, and you've taken out the hand hygiene aspect. So when you add them all together, the potential for reductions is even greater, isn't it? And I I thank you for this work. So thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, and look forward to speaking to everybody again on a future episode of Infectious Control Matters. Cool. Thank you.